what's up everyone welcome back to the latest edition of the real estate podcast coming to you live on hand radio we have an exciting show for you today i am your co-host melvin dickens and i'm al davis and we are glad that you are joining us today to all of our supporters and followers on all of the social media we thank you today we have a great show a great guest for you today and first we want to just give a shout out to the visionary and founder of the hand radio king richard good and thank all of you for tuning in to our latest edition today. And we're going to get started. Um, we have a great guest um, who yeah. is a definite a trailblazer in the uh, real estate industry uh, by the name of Mark Owens. And um, he's going to just give some great gems on some information today on how to get started in this business and do some great work. And uh, I'll turn it over to Al and let him talk a little bit more about his relationship with Mark. And we'll get started. Well, I'm excited about the show today. Number one, it's, and I tell people it's close to me, it's like three people that, I, like I've been around them more than 20 years. So it's like three people that I really look up to, you know, in, in the real estate game in Baltimore. And Mark is, Mark is definitely one of those three people. So I'm just happy to be talking to him. So we can give us some insights as to how he got to where he is currently and some of the obstacles that he had to overcome to get to where he currently is in real estate. Um, so I want to start off by saying, good day, Mark. How are you? Hey, thank you, Al and Melton, both for a wonderful introduction. I appreciate it. I so <laughs> I want to talk today with Mark because Mark does a little, like it's different areas in real estate for people that don't understand real estate. And I'm assuming you, talk, you, you turn into this podcast because you want to learn different areas of real estate. Well, over the last 20 years, I basically done rentals and rehabs and flip. That's not... I don't think that's Mark's main thing. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we're going to talk about some of the things it may take to over some of the things you may have to overcome and some of the things that Mark has overcome to get to where he currently is. And I think he's in retirement mode now, aren't you, Mark? Uh, pretty much about 97%. So yeah, he's, a, I'm trying to get to that point. I don't, I, I feel as though I paid my dues and took my lumps. I want to get to 97% retirement mode. And I'm sure a lot of people that's close to me want me to get in that mode, Mark. So hopefully I can learn something today where I can get closer to the retirement mode like you are. So let's start today. Do you, you remember how we met? How, how many years ago we met? Probably 10 years ago, Mark? Oh, I, I know exactly how we met. Uh, do you want me to tell the story? Go ahead. Oh, I don't know Because there are some lessons in the story for people. So um, it's going to be, it's going to take a few minutes, but there are some lessons to it. So it's probably around 2008, uh, 2007, 2008, I was wholesaling full time, sending out yellow letters and postcards and hanging up bandit signs and all that stuff. And I uh, got a phone call from a person named John, I'm going to say his name, John Briner, lived up in Pennsylvania. And talking to John, doing a bunch of stuff in Baltimore City. And he came down to you know Baltimore, like, you know, every couple of weeks to just check on his properties and you know sign paperwork for another deal or something like that. So I, we had a really good relationship on the phone, and he just called me off a yellow letter. And during the process of that you know call, I asked him if he'd be interested in meeting for lunch, because I, I'm a huge proponent for networking and you know just meeting people that are doing it and just getting around, and getting your name out there, and, and meeting other people. So. He agreed to uh, meet me for lunch, and I had uh, when I was wholesaling at the time. I had a partner named Dave, who we were just partners in wholesaling. We didn't own any rentals together or anything, and we met at a place called Ethel and Ramones in uh, Washington, Mount Washington, for lunch like a couple of weeks later. And right during please. during the course of that lunch, he asked me. He said, "John said, so Mark, I'm just curious. Like, what are you looking for?" And I said, I'm looking for uh, I'm looking for buildings that are 10 units and up that need rehab. And he said, OK, well, you know, if something comes up, I'll let you know. A couple of days later, he gives me a call and says, man, a friend of mine, this guy, Al's got an 18 unit building, bank owned. Uh, it's vacant, needs some work and he's wholesaling. Are you interested in it? And I was like, yeah, I'm, hell yeah, I'm interested in it. Like, man, send me the information. So he sent me the information, which included a $40,000 assignment fee. I was cool with that. Look, if the numbers work for me, the numbers work for me. I don't care what the wholesaler makes. I don't care if they make a dollar. I don't care if they lose $100 or they make 100000 It doesn't matter. Good deal is a good deal. Exactly. And so, uh, so I, you know, I talked to John. I don't remember if him and if John and Al, they might have split that 40. I'm not sure, but Al, Al didn't know me at the time. And 
you know, to me, my word is my word. If I say I'm going to pay that money, I'm going to pay that money. I don't need it in writing. And uh, and so, you know, I think Al called John a few times. You sure this guy's going to show up? You sure he's going to do it? And, uh, you know, and a couple months later, you know, I showed up at the table and, you know, and the deal went through and I got paid and Al got paid and John got paid. And I wound up with a great building, which I actually just sold last year um, and with the help of another wholesaler, by the way, who... Uh, and I paid him $40,000 for, he sold three buildings for me. And the, uh, and that was just off a handshake. I mean, I just agreed to him. Yeah, I'll pay you 40 K and that was it. There was nothing in writing. And then I told him, I said, listen, man, send me a, send me an email stating that and I'll just respond. Okay. Cause if I get hit by a car, my wife ain't giving you nothing. Like, <laughs> she, you know, she don't know you, man. She don't know you. She don't know you. Right. So, so he, uh, you know, he sent me an email and I just responded. Okay. And that was it. You know, it's like, that's the way I run my business. And so the lessons from this little story are one is network your ass off. You talk on the phone to somebody you don't know, that's kind of local and you get an opportunity to meet with them and take them out to lunch or dinner or something like that could be the best $20 you ever spent, you know, in this business, you know, I, I buy John Brian or lunch and I wind up with an 18 unit apartment building three months later. You know I mean? That's like, that's well worth a $20 lunch. And you never know which one it's going to be. So that's one of the lessons. And the other lesson uh, for people is to, you know, there's a couple of them. One is do what you say you're going to do. If you say you're interested in 10 unit buildings and somebody shows up with one, you better be able to close because you're going to look like a fool. If it's a good deal and you're like, well, can't get the money, you know, you got the time, you look like an idiot. So if you can't do it, say you can't do it. If you, if you say you can do it, then you better be prepared to do it. And then the third thing that's really important is you know doing what you say you're going to do like as far as like financially and all like never screw anybody uh you know if, if you tell somebody you're going to pay them something i don't care what happens pay them you know it's like it it just doesn't matter your reputation is is so important that i mean i hear stuff all the time about people that did something real stupid and their reputation gets dinged and then you know something comes up and and i don't want to deal with them you know it's like so that so protect your reputation so long story short there it is that's how we met. Wow, that, and that's accurate also. So I'm glad I'm that Melvin speaker also. It's a couple of points that Mark touched on that people should need to know. And that's why I mess with Mark. That's why I deal with Mark because first of all, he, he likes helping people. He's knowledgeable. He's always honest. So I never, and, and in, this, in this business, honesty is probably the hardest thing to find, like somebody to trust to find. Like Mark is definitely one of the people I trust in this game. And like his word is good. So I know Mark tell me something is good. So like I, I can tell him, I can send Mark an address for a wholesale deal. He go look at it. And I don't even have to do a piece of paper with him or a contract with him unless the title company wants it. And that's, you know, that's why he's one of the people I look up to. And he'll help you. Like if you call Mark and ask him whatever question you need to ask him about how to get in real estate or how to do whatever, he'll answer honestly. So that's what I love about Mark. And he took that 18 unit, fixed it up, rented it out, how much did you get in income a month on that building, Mark? Man, I think it towards when I sold it last year, it's probably around eighteen thousand a month coming in. It was nine. It was nine one bedroom apartments, six two bedroom apartments, and three three bedrooms. And I don't think any market tenants in the whole building. I don't think anybody in the building had a job. That's why I say yeah. was a programmer was wow. the best. You, yeah. I mean, and, and it was. There's a lot of different programs. I mean, you know, the I mean, Section Eight was one, but there's a lot of other programs in Baltimore City that are funded by HUD, uh, right. where different nonprofits, you know, get the money goes from HUD. In Baltimore, it goes to uh, Mayor's Office of Homeless Services, or called MOES, yeah. and then they dole it out in grants to different nonprofits, which uh, cater to different uh, affected or disaffected populations, depending on how you want to define it. Uh, people that have different kinds of disabilities, people that just get out of prison, people that have, you know, recovering from drug issues and uh, populations that generally struggle to support themselves. And these nonprofits are out there to help them, to assist them and enable them. And it's it's not just paying the rent, but it's also, you know, if the people need medical stuff or mental health issues, like helping them get a, a some type of assistance and getting some guidance with, you know, those types of things as well. So there's, you know, these programs and, and they're nonprofit. So, you know, they don't get a lot of money, so they don't have 
the funding to do a lot of the things that they want to do. They just don't have the money or the resources. So a lot of people get frustrated with the programs, but when you understand that it's, these people are there because they care, man. You know, it's like, they're not, they're not, you don't get rich with a nonprofit as a social worker or, you know, helping these clients find housing. Like these people aren't rich. These people are, are struggling just like everybody else, but they make it their mission to help other people they can't help themselves and that's the population that i like to work with because in many ways i was once one of those people exactly so yeah so you got the 18 to fix it up and, and you run into the programs like the programs are vital to our business because I, we we do 10 placements, so we work with like 13 programs but it's also helping people when you place people from these programs it's helping the community so how much did how much was it, i don't want to ask you how much you sold it but how much was it listed for when you tried to sell it last year mark yeah mark? i didn't i didn't list it i uh i wasn't even going to sell it for another three four five years because i was paying down you know between that building and another 14 unit and another 13 unit that i owned i think i was paying down around I was paying down a lot between all of my business all of my buildings i was paying down around 16 17 18 thousand dollars a month in principal and so I thought, you know, I'll stick with this another three or four years and get another, you know, whatever $17,000 times 36 months is, whatever that is, get that additional equity and then I'm going to hang it up. Right. And then uh, I got a text message and this is another important thing. I got a text message from a wholesaler that I know. As, his guy's name is Dave Pelta. And he asked me if I knew anyone that had any uh, buildings for sale that were like, you know, 20 units and up. Mm-hmm. Now, I, my biggest building was 18 units, but he, he got my attention because I know Dave and I think he's a really decent guy and he's a hardworking guy and he's a humble guy. And so I just, I thought, man, let me call him up and see what he's looking for. Like who is, you know, who his client is, like what's going on. So I called him up and he told me he's got these guys from New York that are cash buyers. They're looking for 20 units and up. And uh, they had recently bought like a 34 unit from him. And the, uh, and you know that's it they were just looking for stuff so i said listen man i got uh i got a few buildings that we consider selling and so i just threw out the three that i had at seventy thousand dollars per unit for all three buildings that all together it was a whatever 32 45 units at seventy thousand per unit and the you know i think the ones in the 18 unit were worth a little more than 75 but in the 14 unit i think they were worth significantly less than 70. so it, it all kind of balanced out Mm-hmm. And and I ended up selling it. It was, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know, three million dollars, something like that. And if and I only paid Dave a forty thousand dollar assignment fee. If I would have paid a realtor, I'd have paid one hundred eighty thousand. I'd right. have paid the three million, so it saved me one hundred forty thousand dollars by using him. And uh, also, they were cash buyers, so that we didn't have any financing contingencies, any inspection contingencies, you know, like phase one environmentals or like all that other crap that gets involved, you know, in the knuckle dragging with the lenders where they wait, you know, obviously they wait right. till like the day before settlement and then they demand a whole bunch of other documents and then you've got to sign another extension and all that crap. So he presented me with an opportunity where I could save, you know, $140,000 in uh, commission. I could get out of these things really easy. And so my thoughts were, man, I could I could either hang on to another three years and and maybe make a couple hundred thousand dollars more. I don't know. I mean, right. but it's not just free money. I mean, I'm, I'm managing the properties as well, so it wasn't free. I mean, it means I'm going to have to work to manage these 45 units for a few more years. And it's just it was 45 units. But there was also 12 garages that were mostly rented out as well. So, wow. so I was looking at it like. Uh, man, you know what? I'm wanting to retire. I'm ready to get the hell out of Baltimore and go out and explore more of the planet a little more often than I was. And so I, you know, once, so I threw out those numbers, not really expecting them to say that they wanted the deal, but I thought, well, I'm not going to shortchange myself. I'm going to sell them for what I think is, you know, pretty close to market and maybe a little below market, but it's, I'm making up for it by the less aggravation and less commission. And, uh, and then he called me up the next day and said, man, they're interested. Wow. That and I sent him all the information. And two months later, it was like May 5th of last year. We went to settlement and everything sold. And Dave got paid like, you know, the next day, you know, as soon as you know, I got home, the, when the money got wired to my account, I sent him a check. Wow. So, so you, and, and everyone is listening to this. The one variable in the, the played a vital part in Mark's transactions and success was a wholesaler. 
Yep. So that and that we preach here that wholesaling, a lot of people get into real estate wholesaling as opposed to saving up hundred thousand dollars to buy the house and do all that. So if you start with wholesaling, it's a need for wholesalers, and we preach that here on this podcast. Right. Yeah, like, yeah I, I mean that first of all, thanks, thanks for your time, Mark. The story is awesome. And uh, you know, I appreciate what you were talking about. We talked about honesty and integrity, even just saying, you know, sort of the old uh, good old-fashioned handshake and giving someone your word you're just going to do what you say you're going to do and, and come completing a deal in that fashion because i think sometimes in this litigious society we get so caught up on you know contracts and signing this and that and having the paperwork i was laughing today um i sent the another deal and uh the person was just hey where's the contract where's the contract and i'm saying the the emd is there so you know be cool we're gonna get the contract over to you and uh and so it's just interesting to hear you kind of say it from a different perspective where hey you believe um and you when you deal with solid people and people say and that's something that al was kind of just instilled in me too talking about the idea of um uh, you keeping your name good in this business and uh you, you spoke to that too as well i want to um to ask when you when you think about wholesaling in, in your experience because i know you're at a totally different space now level now um, what tips would you give about or something you would share for folks who are just getting in to talk about wholesaling and how it could potentially uh, uh, you know, be a benefit to them or jumpstart them getting into the business? All right, I'm gonna, the number one thing and maybe the hardest thing to do is answer the phone every time it rings as fast as you can. Because if you don't answer the phone and then you call them back like an hour later, there's a greater than 50% chance you will never talk to that person. And if, if you don't believe it, next time you're driving around, you see like a, we buy houses sign on a, hanging on a lightning, you know, a, a light pole or something like that. Call yeah. the number. Most of the time they don't answer. Right. It's, it's like, and if you do the cost, if you look at, if you like really track all your numbers and say, man, I spent, you know, $8,000 on, you know, my marketing and I got 80 phone calls and I got one deal where I made $20,000. If you do the math, man, like each one of those phone calls, you know, might've cost you $500 and then you missed the call. That's <laughs> like, yeah. And it's your, you know, when you, when you measure the number of calls you get based on how much money you spent, that auto motivates you to answer the phone. And it's not just how much you spent to make the phone ring, but the potential deal on the other end of the line. And what happens is, uh, you know, and I and I speak from experience because there are times where I haven't been able to answer the phone at the time because maybe I'm in a settlement, maybe I'm sleeping, I don't know. Yeah. And and if I can't answer it, I people leave a message. Sometimes they don't leave a message, but I always had a, a number that was assigned just for the wholesaling, so I knew it wasn't a personal call or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I would keep track of it, like okay, I missed this call, and then I would keep track of every time I called him back. And when it finally got to the sixth or seventh one where I couldn't get in touch, touch with them, I would just put a big X through the page and and file it away. And I didn't throw it away, I kept it. But I, I just put a big X on it just to let myself know, like, yeah, I already, you know, I screwed this one up. You know, this is my fault. And uh, and so that's that's my most important thing that I would tell people is answer the damn phone. Yeah. Rule number one, I have to, I have to learn that rule. Yeah, that's how <laughs> <No>, I know. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. probably right saying it. <laughs> So, but like, but let me like, since we're we're on this, and I know this is a thing. How do you do that? Because I'm a, I can imagine at the level you are now, and I know Al is well versed in experience. You know, one of the things I know he gets a hundred calls a day. So since I've been working with him, right, um, I've been trying to take some of that pressure off, right? right. Just say, look, look, he'll say, call Melvin, call Melvin. He's my guy. Call Melvin. Yep. He's gonna. And he's coaching me. He's giving me, you know, deals. He's giving me. You know, we look at houses together. Sometimes I look at it myself. He's sending me pictures, even if I didn't go with him to look at a property. And so we're kind of trying to sync everything. But 100 calls a day, man, that's tough, right? I used to calls. get them. I, that's that's exactly so what you, I was getting 2006, yeah. 2007, 2008 when I was wholesaling full time. You know, I wholesaled a little over 200. And uh, I was getting more than either making or receiving well over 100 phone calls every day. Right. And I, man, I made myself available. It was this thing, my little headset, my little Bluetooth, mm-hmm. man, I can sit there with this. I can drive and take the call. I can sit at my desk and take notes. I can look up a property while I'm on the phone. And I was on the phone all the time, wow. but I had to be, man. I had to be, you yeah. know, 
just uh i mean i still wear this thing all the time. i wear it i'm in my camper right now i wear this thing in my damn camper because yeah. it the fucking rings and i see it across the room and it's like it's like my wife like i want to answer the damn phone you know yeah, <laughs> so, right. you don't wear it in the shower do you mark <laughs> uh, i'm thinking about that no nah, no nah, i probably should have no nah, I, I probably have in the past yeah. but no nah, so that, that's well taken answer the phone i'm working on it that's why i got melted next to me so nah. he takes a lot of slack well on. here's one of the one of the ways around that and we experimented with this before was uh you can set up a va or one of these calling centers we use one in florida i can't remember the name of it it's like call ruby or something like that and if it called this number, we used Vonage for our stuff. This was before Call Rail and a lot of these other things that were around. And uh, and we would get a call, and if nobody answered in like the third ring, then it would automatically forward to the answering center, call center. And they had a list of questions that we want to ask. And the most important questions are, what's the person's name? What's the best number to call them back at? Because sometimes they might be calling from a number from a phone number. And you call it back, and it's a switchboard for their office. And, you know, you got to press the extension. Nobody knows what it is. So... Get the person's name, the best number to call them back at, and the property address that they're calling about. Start with that, and then make sure that in your list of questions, one of the questions that you ask is, you ask or your VA or whoever's taking your calls is, uh, just curious, do you have any other properties you're thinking about selling? Because you, you're gonna miss a lot of deals if you don't ask that, because maybe the one that they're calling you about isn't a good deal. Right. But then you ask that question and you find out, yeah, your you know, father-in-law just died and he's got a house that's been you know, kind of run down and, you know, they're getting ready to sell that and they weren't really sure what to do with it. And you would have never found out about that if you didn't ask a question. So always, always follow up with, do you have any other properties that you're considering selling at this time? Wow. So um, now the, in all seriousness, I wasn't uh, ribbing my partner here, uh, Al, but I, I think it's important because I think some, what we've been trying to, drill the people as being sort of self-motivated. Um, I know Al talked about in, in, in our former episode about um, getting a list, getting in your car, getting a, a pencil, a notepad, and a tank of gas, and you could start your business. That's I, true. He was kind of just trying to give people some inspiration, kind of um, reiterate yep. that in, in a sense. But I, you know, also thinking about once you you know like phone calls it does take a lot of your own motivation so listening to you say hey i got i keep phones on you know i can look up properties in my car while i'm in the car while i'm moving you know if i'm going to the gym answer the phone you know whatever you're doing in your daily course of still having a life you can still kind of be attentive to this business so i, I think that is something that is um empowering because i think sometimes people want to pick it up almost like as a hobby or like this is my if I work from nine to five, then I'm going to work on my real estate business from five to nine. But it doesn't necessarily work like that. Right? That you know you may have to um, incorporate this into your lifestyle a bit more um, than just this thing you pick up, um, you know, for five hours or three hours a day. Yeah, that's a conversation that I've been having a lot with some of my clients lately. Is uh, you get out of it what you put into it. And if you want more, you got to do more. Exactly. Like if you're looking at, you know, if you're looking at Al and you say, man, Al, he got 20 houses this year, man. I only got one. You know, Al's working 50 hours, 60 hours a week. Oh, you're working five hours. Well, you work 10 times, you'll get 10 times. <laughs> so it's, Al gets the results he gets because he's with time. You know, and right. people miss that part. They just think it's, you know, these a lot of these gurus just sell this get rich quick thing. You know, they think they're just going to go to 25 grand for a mentor or going to retire in two years. That's yeah, that's really, yeah, that's not there. happening. That's not happening. But, but you, you, you touched on something, Mark, that, that I want to, that I want to speak on. I want to go into. You didn't get to where you are. Like you didn't start, you, you start off wholesaling from what I hear. But there was a mark before wholesaling and there's a mark after wholesaling, the apartment buildings and stuff is after wholesaling before. So can you speak a little bit about your journey, how you got to the point where you started wholesaling and then from wholesaling, how you transferred that into purchasing the apartment buildings? Because I want to hear more about that because a lot of people I talk to, they feel as though they don't, I don't have the money and, and I'm not making enough money to do this and I'm, I'm down on my luck and uh, I got too many bills and all this. So they looking at, they are already at, advance, at a disadvantage just because of a lack of money and they got obstacles to overcome. But 
people can overcome obstacles and I know you have. So I want you, can you speak a little bit about your journey till you got to the apartment buildings? Uh, sure. How far back do you want me to go? Man, go back to the, go back to the California days or whatever. Uh, all right. So, uh, when I, when I say this story, this is something that I was actually like really, you know, ashamed of and embarrassed about for years and years and didn't really tell anybody except like my closest, uh, circle. But I was inspired. I use fire. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. I didn't want to be judged for, you know, my earlier years, but in the eighties, in the nineteen eighties when I was, you know, younger, I was born in sixty five. In when I was seventeen years old in nineteen eighty two, I got kicked out of high school. And uh in nineteen eighty three, I was seventeen, I started shooting coke and heroin. And you know, I, I was like doing every other drug I could get my hands on up to that time. I started smoking weed and drinking and smoking cigarettes when I was like twelve. And uh, so by the, by the time I was 17, I had like done everything I could get my hands on. And coke and heroin were the next steps in that uh, cycle. And between the ages of 17 and 25, you know, there was, uh, you know, once you, once you get involved in that life, things change. And you become a person that you couldn't have even imagined becoming prior to that. And I was always, you know, as a kid, I was a decent kid. And I was nice and polite, and respectful to people. And, and, you know, I was somebody that, that you would have probably liked. And, you know, and then I got into that lifestyle. And I was probably somebody that you wouldn't have liked. Where, you know, by the time I was 25, I'd been, you know, in and out of jail a few times. Spent a year in prison. Spent some time in jail in Florida. Spent some time in jail in Pennsylvania. Lived on the streets. Sleeping in abandoned houses and hollywood california uh, in, in in the street in for a short period of time up outside of philly uh and then i get ended up getting kicked out of a drug rehab and, and hitchhiked to florida in the winter because uh i'd violated my probation if i stayed in baltimore i'm going to prison for four more years i'm like well i'm not really interested in that but, you know i gotta live on the streets i'm gonna go somewhere warm so i hitchhiked down to florida and uh you know, and started a whole new kind of life. Ended up going to jail in Florida. It's a whole different story. But uh, you know, over the next couple of years, I wound up living in an apartment outside of Philly. Got a girlfriend. Got a job. Still doing coke and heroin. And ended up, uh, you know, I robbed a bank outside of Philly. And robbed. Uh, you know, it, it's a long story, but I got I was arrested for a strong arm robbery in Pennsylvania. And uh, I got out on bail. And I know it's funny, isn't it? I mean, because you can't believe that. Like, when you meet me, you can't even imagine that. No, not at all. Yeah. So I, got, I got a strong arm robbery in Pennsylvania. And, you know, I got out on bail. And I, I was out on bail. And I'm living in this apartment with this girl. We're up on the top floor. And there's a knock on the door. This is like the end of this whole thing. There's a knock on the door. And, you know, my girlfriend gets up and opens it. And it's the sheriff. For Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, the bail bonds, and they want to lock me up, and I'm out on bail, and I'm like, you know, what's up, you know, for what? And they're like, well, you know, we're going to revoke your bail because we receive word that you're going to flee the state. Now that was true, and of course I denied it, but I was like, I was very compliant, very polite, very pleasant, and I said, all right, well, you know, let me get dressed, you know, because I'm like literally laying in bed, and. Uh, so I start getting dressed and I was I was a cocky SOB. I remember I looked at my girlfriend and winked, you know, and, and she kind of like looked at me like, all right, what you gonna do? <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, man, I'm getting dressed to run. Like I ain't, you know, like if you look at what I'm doing, man, I'm tying my shit tight, I'm tucking mm -hmm. them laces in, like I'm like, I'm getting ready, I'm taking off so. one way or another. And mm -hmm. uh and then you know, but I'm being real nice at the same time. I'm wearing like loose clothes and all, you know, I'm like I'm ready to go and uh i asked the sheriff i said look man is it all right if i you know call my grandma she's gonna be worried about me and you know i don't want her i just want to tell her what happened and, you know because i was being real nice and real compliant he agreed so he walks me in the kitchen and there's a hallway there's two doors in the hallway in the kitchen one goes out to the fire escape one goes to the hallway and in the hallway there's a door that goes down two flights out to the to the street so he's standing at the doorway in the hallway and the bell bond or the uh, 
bail bondsman was standing in the doorway that goes out to the fire escape. And I'm just, I picked up the phone and I acted like I was talking to my grandma. There wasn't even nobody on the phone. I'm just talking, 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 trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Like, okay, how am I going to work this thing? And there was another window in the kitchen. And if you, if I went out that, there was a roof there to the second floor or the first floor apartment that I could have jumped down to the ground. But, but, uh, you know, diving through that closed window, you know, you might end up like getting some gashes and bleeding out, you know, before you hit the ground. So a little hesitant to do that. So I'm just talking, talking, talking and the sheriff. He, he says, all right, man, you got to hang up. And I just kind of delayed. I was like, all right, man, just give, give me a second. And then a minute later, I was like, all right, man, you got to go. I'm like, all right, man, just give me a second. And then he came around behind me. That was his mistake because he left that door open. He came around behind me and he, he grabbed my hand and I spun around and picked his ass up and threw him over the kitchen table behind me and then turned back around, went down that hall, opened the door, down the steps, out into the street, down into the woods along the Schuylkill River. And there was a railroad track that I took down to a bridge that crossed over to another town. I can't remember what it was called. It might have been Bluebell or something. I was in Norristown at the time. And uh, yeah, and at the time, uh, you know, I, I wanted to cross over the bridge, but I didn't want to go on the top because I figured, man, they're going to be looking for me now. <laughs> you know, and if you're on the top, like they can see you. So and the river is too far. I couldn't swim across it. It was too far. Right. And uh, I went up underneath the bridge and there's these, you know, the girders, you know, the joists or whatever the hell they are that uh, go across the older bridge. Up. Well, I climbed up on top of one of them and I just got my back up against one of those joists. It's like six foot tall. And I just, you know stood on it and I just with my back against it I just went right foot left foot right foot and made my way across that river man and and then uh you know it, it's even crazier because on the other side of the river there's another train track and there was a train heading out of Philly don't know where it was going but I thought man I'm gonna hop on that you know I'm hopping on that train and I don't know where it's going I don't care it's out of here what and but I couldn't keep up with the train I was afraid I was gonna fall running in that gravel and right. you know you don't want to fall around a moving train <laughs> because right. i like my arms i like my legs you know so uh stop chasing it and I, I worked my way over to this little town i can't remember what it was called it might have been like bluebell or something like that and uh i'm just like man i need a ride you know i gotta jack a car i gotta do something i gotta figure something out and uh so i'm walking around the neighborhood and this car pulled up in front of a pharmacy and they they made a mistake they left their motor running and uh ran in a pharmacy wasn't nobody in the car and i was like man that's, there's my ride you know it's like you know you're asking you shall receive <laughs> there's my ride <laughs> and, uh, I, hopped, I hopped in it and took off and uh it's funny because it's what happened was there was a kid hitchhiking when i was going down route one i, I was going down route one i didn't want to go on 95 or anything like this i'm going down route one and there was a kid hitchhiking i picked him up <laughs> and uh well, I've hitchhiked all over the country, man. I mean, I've hitchhiked from California to Maryland, Vermont to Philly, you know, Maryland to Florida. I've hitchhiked all over the place. And this, this kid was hitchhiking, so I picked him up. And we were talking, and uh, I said, man, I used to hitchhike a lot, but I, I don't do it anymore. I found an easier way. And he said, really, man? Well, what's the easier way? And I said, man, I steal cars. And he, he said, he looked at me like, really? I was like, yeah, man, I just stole this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God just to see the look on his face <laughs> and uh you know he was a little surprised but i took him you know to where he wanted to go and then i headed back down to baltimore and then that's when the shit really hit the fan you know i had uh i left out this little part about a bank uh the day after the sheriff left the feds raided my apartment uh, about a bank robbery I think it was mm -hmm. collegeville i think that's where that was at and uh for college town something like that and my girlfriend didn't even know anything about it and uh so then that cat was out of the bag. And so, you know, I got this thing for assaulting the sheriff, you know, jumping bail. I was already violating my probation for, you know, Maryland's had four years there. And I just thought at this time, I'm going to, uh, I'm just all in now. Like, I'm just going to run until I'm done. I'm, I'm just going to do what I'm doing to either OD or get shot. So and I started, started robbing stores and drug dealers. And that was it. And it's like, I was doing one or two every day. And, uh, I ended up, I did get arrested in September 8th, 89. There's, there's a lot of lessons coming up right here. So I got arrested in September 8th, 1989 at, on Monument Street at the corner where Crescent Street is. 
Uh, it is. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was driving a you know stolen car, ran a red light. This a girlfriend and I were sitting in a motel out on Plasky Highway, and we went rob a store, went and bought some drugs. On our way back to the motel, ran a light, got caught. Uh, ended up they sent me to Baltimore County Detention Center instead of Baltimore City because I had I don't know 23 robberies in Baltimore County, but only a few in Baltimore City. So they sent me out there. And on October 2nd of 1989, I attempted to escape out of Baltimore County Detention Center. And, you know, it's one of these, they said, you know, they called it an escape-proof jail. Like, man, you got to show me. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't mean, I don't like, if I tell you I'm going to do something, like, I'm going to do it. You know, whether I'm going to show up and buy that 18-unit apartment building or I'm getting out of this jail. Like, if I tell you I'm going to do it, I don't, I don't, I do it. So, hold on, stop, stop right there, Mark. Yeah. Okay. You're getting high, coke dope, robbing banks. Run, beat the police up, ran away from the police, got locked up. Now, do you consider this rock bottom right now or you don't think you hit your rock bottom yet? As of this uh, point? I, at that point, I thought that my rock bottom was either getting shot or OD. Okay. Because so I, I tried I tried AA, NA, churches, different girlfriends, moving to different states. Like, I tried everything, man. In and out of jail. Like, I just, I just thought, well, this is who I am. I'm a broken human being and I can't be fixed. Oh. And, uh, but that was about to change because on October 2nd, uh, I was on a high bail section of Baltimore County Detention Center. And I saw that I was in another guy's cell and I saw that his, the weld on top of his bunk bed, it's it's a piece of steel, it's like three and a half foot long. That's like, you know, like a leg between one bed and another. Mm-hmm. And I saw it had a crack in the weld. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, man, if I can get that, this piece of steel off of here, I got a three and a half, four foot piece of steel. I'm a, I can get through these windows because the windows was like a real heavy duty mesh screen. And then it was a piece of cast iron, like great behind that. And there was just a piece of plastic, piece of plexiglass. So I thought, man, I get a piece of steel like that. I can get out this place. And, uh, you know, I talked to the guy in the cell about it and he didn't want nothing to do with it. And I was a different person back then. And I, you know, I just said, look, man, I'm, I'm even fucking asking you. I'm telling you, I'm taking that shit. And you think you're gonna do something about it? And uh, you know, and that was it. I went and got a couple other guys. We came in, we laid on the bottom bed and pushed our feet up on the top bunk and just pushed as hard as we could, like doing a leg press. Uh-huh. And that, that well popped. And then we bent that thing off and then we went in my cell and uh shut the door and went to work on them windows, got the screen off, got a big hole in the grate, and we was prying that plastic out when the uh the COs rolled in on us and caught us. And uh, and I, you know, I still wasn't done at that point. I'm like, you know, you have to shoot me off the fence. Like, I, man, I ain't finished. You know, it's like I'm not gonna live. I'm not gonna spend 20, 30, 40 years locked up. Like, it just ain't gonna happen. Wow. And what happened that did change things was, you know, my attorney came to see me like a week or two later, and he he sat. It's funny because we sat down in this little room, you know, steel table and. Just me and him. Now I'm I'm going to use some language right here, some inappropriate language, but it was very appropriate at the time. He looked at me, uh, and I, you know, he looked at me across the table, and he said, "Man, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, can't you even stay out of trouble in jail? You're already locked up." And then he said, "Don't you realize that if you do what you're supposed to do, you can be home by the time you're 30 years old. You'll be young enough to start a whole new life." And I hadn't really considered that. And, uh, you know, I felt like an idiot. You know, I got this educated dude with a suit and tie doing well, sitting there telling me, you know, asking me what the fuck's wrong with me. And I felt stupid. And I went back to my cell and over the next course of the next couple of days, what he said kind of gelled in my mind. It was like, man, I could start a whole new life. If I, if I can be home by the time I'm 30, I'm 24 now. If I can be home by the time I'm 30 years old, young enough to start a whole new life, that's, that is something that's worth exploring wow and i was on lockup for six months and uh and during that you know six months i was on lockup uh i guess like five of those months were me like thinking like all right man i gotta figure out a plan so when i come home i can live a decent life like you know be somebody that would my parents my family would be proud of instead of being you know this loser and uh and it's just one of these damn things i don't know if you call it the law of attraction or well, but I get out of lockup, 
it's like April 2nd, 1990. And on the tier, there was a book laying on one of the tables. They're called pods in Baltimore County. On the pod, there's a book on the table, paperback. And it was called, You Can If You Think You Can. And I saw it laying there and I was just like, wow, what's this shit? You know, because I'm reading like all the Stephen King and Louis L'Amour. If you've been locked up, you read Louis L'Amour. I mean, that's like the jails are flooded with these old Westerns. And uh, I pick up the book and I'm reading it. And the author, Norman Vincent Peale was his name. He was a minister. And the book was a little spiritual. It wasn't religious, but it was a little spiritual. But it was mostly about if you believe in yourself, you have the power to change your life and be anybody that you want. Mm. And I was halfway through that book. And back then you could smoke in the, in the jails. And uh, and I was, I, you know, I, I smoked back then. I had a pack of cigarettes in my pocket and two cartons in my bunk, in my in my room, my cell. And uh, I decided, man, I'm going to change my life. This book convinced me that I could change my life and become the person I wanted to be. And I quit smoking cigarettes. There was a guy named Frank Pertina, one of my you know, jailhouse buddies. I said, Frank, man, take these cigarettes. I'm done, man. Wow. And he, you know, he thought I was, you know, like crazy or lying or bullshit or something like that. I'm like, man, I'm done. And I never smoked again. I mean, I was it. I quit. And and the reason I did that was, it was kind of funny. But I was thinking to myself, like, man, listen, if I keep smoking, I'm probably gonna, you know, die five years sooner. If I gotta spend five years in jail, if I quit smoking, then maybe I can add five years to my life to make up for the five years I'm losing. Right. So that was so that was one of the ways I was looking at it. And then okay. it was also just to prove to myself that I'm serious, man. I'm like, I'm taking control of my, my life and I'm going to, I'm going to change who I am. And it worked, you know? And, and so it's, and here's the part of it. And there's something else that this isn't real estate stuff, but there's like a lot of really important life lessons. And, and I'd say this to like my students and clients and friends and family, it is never too late to call somebody and apologize. It is never too late to call somebody and thank them. And uh, the cop that locked me up, I found him on Facebook like 12 years ago. And I, you know, I sent him a message and said, man, did you ever work in the Eastern District of Baltimore City? <laughs> oh my goodness. He didn't respond. And then, you know, I waited a few weeks and then I, I sent him another message and I said, listen, man, you locked me up September 8th, 1989 for a bunch of robberies, had a, you know, federal warrant for my arrest for a bank. And, uh, I just want to let you know that I'm really sorry for all the things that I did and that you saved my life because if you hadn't arrested me, I, you know, I wouldn't be here now. And I just want to let you know that I really, really appreciate it. And that, you know, today I've, you know, I've got a wonderful wife and a great son and a great business and I'm you know, a respected member of the community. I just yes. wouldn't happen without you. And we ended up, you know, he, we we're friends now. I got his number on my phone. I mean, we met, we talked on the phone, you know, we're, friend, we're friends on Facebook. <laughs> and, uh, wow, that's amazing. And then, you know, there was a, the the Baltimore County robber detective. I Googled him. Couldn't find him on Facebook, but I Googled him and I found out he actually became a private attorney hmm. in Howard County. And uh, I sent him an email and let him, you know, know who I was and how things were going. And the same thing. I just want to let you know I'm sorry for all the shit that I did. It's, you know, it wasn't me. And uh, it wasn't how I was raised. And we ended up going to lunch at a place called Bare Bones in Ellicott City. You know, yeah. we met there for lunch and, you know, it's like if he needed me for something today, I'd be there in a minute. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. I, like we don't talk or nothing, but it was just, you know, I right. wanted to apologize and I want to thank people. And I and just like three months ago, I called the attorney. He didn't even know I was. I haven't talked to him since 1990. And I told him the story and I thanked him for saying what he said because it, it changed the course of my life. Just that one conversation changed the direction of my life. Wow, Mark, this is this is awesome, man. So, Mark, listen, your story has been amazing. Uh, just, you know, your journey, um, as, as Al talked about earlier. And so when you I kind of got to that, you know, Al called it rock bottom, that turning point. What what was the kind of thing that put you to a place where you kind of got to where you are now? I mean, I know that's a lot, but the lawyer, you know, the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it really, it was that book that uh, that turned my life around. I mean, it, it happened in an instant. Uh, it was like an on-off switch as opposed to like a dimmer switch. It was instant. It was on. And uh, I'd warmed up to it, to the idea, but I didn't know how I was going to do it. And then once I learned that believing in myself is all I needed, everything changed. Everything changed. Man. And so people out here, like, I be complaining about my bills and 
like man, like I know when I started, I, I, I was complaining about money. That basically was my only issue. But goodness gracious, you had a lot to overcome. So yeah. after the book and the lawyer and the talk from the lawyer, and you read the book and you got your this the switch clicked in your brain. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go from there? Well, I finished up. I ended up with a ten-year, nine-month sentence in Maryland, and because I had I had over I had sentences with different start dates. I got like 10 years in Baltimore City, 10 in Baltimore County, 10 in Hartford County, and 10 in Carroll County. And the feds ran, I got 57 months with the feds. They ran a concurrent. And with the feds, there's no parole. So, you, you know, you take it to the door. And uh, Pennsylvania is like a two to four year sentence. And they ran them all together in Maryland. So I was up in Hagerstown. Uh, you know, I got an AA degree in business when I was there. Same school, at Hagerstown Junior College. Same book, same test, same instructors but they come to the prison to teach the classes, but everything's the same. And, uh, you know, I just did everything I could. I, you know, I avoided all the, you know, I mean, there's a lot of everything that's on the street, it's in jail. And uh, just avoided, stayed away from all that crap. Didn't get no trouble, didn't get no fights, nothing. You know, it's just, uh, just kept my, you know, head down, stuck to myself and, the, and a few people that identified that were on the same path that I was. And, uh, you know, when I got out in June of 94, uh, it's a whole different story that I'm not going to go into, but my, my girlfriend, my wife, she, she wasn't my wife then. She wasn't even a girlfriend then, but her and I got together and based on some letters I wrote her when I was locked up. And, uh, I was working at a factory in Curtis Bay making six bucks an hour. Before I got out of jail, I had a, already had a giant, a job lined up. Uh, because when in my last six months, I was a minimum security and worked for what's called state use industries where they pay you back then. It was like $3 and 15 cents a day. And I worked on a truck and we would deliver like office furniture to different places in Maryland. And one of the places we would go to get pieces of office furniture was a steel plating company. They, they plated steel with Chrome at this place in Curtis Bay. And we were there a couple of times and I talked to the owner and I said, look, man, you know, I'm going to be out of here in a couple of months. I'm, I'm going to be looking for a job. I'd love to work here. You know, if you, if you would consider hiring me, I mean, you know, I got a, you know, a history, but I would love to work here. And he said, sure, come see me when you get out. And I went and saw him when I got out and he hired me. I started the next day and uh, it was six bucks an hour. And then, you know, I was, it's, this is really cracked some of my friends up, but I had already applied to get into UMBC. And, you know, I was transparent. I was honest about everything. And, you know, I had to jump through some hoops. I got out in June and September. I started at UMBC as a biochem major. I was majoring, it was called biochemistry and molecular biology. And, uh, you know, I started, you know, heading down that path. And <clears throat> shortly afterwards, started working as a lab technician at a company in Arbutus. And, you know, a couple of years later, I just, I saw that the writing on the wall, like there's really no jobs in this. There's no money in this but computers is where it's at. And I switched to computers. A friend of mine that was in the business said, don't waste your time with a degree. They're worthless. You get a four year degree in computer science. They don't even teach how to hook up a printer. He said, get a, uh, get a degree, you know, don't get a degree, get these certifications like Microsoft certifications and a plus computer repair certifications and stuff like that. So I switched gears, got out of college, started, uh, reading these books for these certifications taking the tests, passing the tests. I got a bunch of certifications and I got a job, a job working at a help desk at Lake Mason in downtown Baltimore. And I was thinking I was making 15 bucks an hour. It was like the most money I ever made legally. And uh, the, you know, at 25th floor overlooking the beautiful downtown Inner Harbor. And uh, I was a consultant or temp at the time. And after six months, they, they offered me a full-time job. You know, my boss, Myrna, called me in her office and she said, Mark, I'm pleased to announce it. Like Mason would like to offer you a permanent position. And I told her, I was like, well, Myrna, just something I got to tell you. You know, I have some felonies on my record. And when I that was kind of minimizing it, right? <laughs> and, uh, and she did a, uh, she says, oh, and she was, you could see kind of like she deflated a little bit. She said, well, let me just, let me call HR real quick. And she called HR and, uh, and, and I could see like, she, like her, te- you know, she was, her eyes were starting to like tear up and I knew it's like, oh man, this ain't going to be good. And she hung up the phone and, and she looked at me and she said, I am so sorry. And within a, five seconds, 
two guys came in her office <laughs> and uh, you know there's like the security to escort me to my desk to get my few things and then get up. to the elevator down 25 flights out on the Pratt Street like off so I'm sitting there enjoying my life you know looking out the window you know making it for me what was great money at the time and then 10 minutes later I'm like out on Pratt Street like looking up at the, <laughs> looking up at the and saying like man like what happened but I wasn't even upset because for me, you know, based on the my history of like dealing with one, you know, hole after another that I dug myself into, like I always found a way out. And I just saw, okay, well, you know, this thing fell through, but something else is better is even gonna, you know, something else even better is gonna come up. And it did. A couple of weeks later, I started a job doing level support, level two support at a place called Integrated Health Services in Cockeysville, and they started me at twenty an hour. Man. And. Uh, Two years later, I was ended up becoming a Microsoft certified trainer and I was teaching computer classes. This was like around the year 2000. I guess I'd been out of prison like, I don't know, five or six years. And I was they were paying me the contract I got. I worked 12 days a month and they paid me six thousand dollars a month. So every day that I worked above 12, I got seven hundred dollars a day. And if I if I worked at night, I got three fifty a night. And I was teaching computer classes at colleges uh, all over Maryland. I mean, Towson University, UMBC, Howard Community College, Harvard Community College, Carroll Community College, Anne Arundel Community College. I think I went over to the Eastern Shore or something. And I was also teaching contracts for like the Federal Aviation Administration and Motor Vehicles Administration. They, they got a new software system. They taught me how to use it. And then they paid me to teach their employees how to use it. Wow. And uh, and I mean, I was like literally teaching internet security at the NSA down at Fort Meade. And five years ago, I was out of jail. I'm in their server room. I don't have a security clearance or nothing. You know, it's like, <laughs> and, uh, I'm in there. And I just, you know what? I, there's, man, there's always a way. There's so, always a way. So, Mark, how did you get to real estate? So now it's, it's this is really intriguing yeah. to me because, totally yeah, man, you've been, you said biochem. <laughs> Yeah, I know, man. So, so how did you get the real estate? Well, I when I was when I started making 130 to 150 a year, I saved my money, man. I mean, I know what it's like to be broke and living in literally in the street, like not knowing where I'm going to go to eat that day. Like I've been there and uh, sometimes a thousand miles from home and not knowing anybody. And so I always had that fear of going back there. So I'm like, man, I'm saving my money. You know, I'm saving, 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 saving. If I'm going to go buy something that's 50 bucks, I'm going to go to Circuit City. I'm going to Best Buy. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to spend a whole day trying to see if I can save $5. And uh, I eventually figured out that that was kind of stupid doing that because my time was worth more than the $5 I saved. But uh, I saved my money and eventually I was like, I got to put it somewhere. You know, what am I going to do? I tried a stock market. That's a joke. You know, as all the Bitcoin people are finding out now. Uh, you know the people that i don't mean the people that bought it at eight thousand dollars i mean the people that bought it at forty thousand dollars fifty thousand dollars sixty thousand dollars uh and i i always had a kind of an interest in real estate and i thought man i'm gonna buy some rental properties and my wife wasn't working at the time and my goal was just to i'm gonna buy some rentals enough where if i lose my job i say something stupid and get fired something happens then at least i got enough money coming in to pay the minimum expenses you know i mean we might be eating ramen noodles but at least we're eating. And uh, I started buying rentals, man. It took, it, from the moment that I made the decision I wanted to do that, so I bought my first deal, it took about six months. And the first one's the hardest. Like, you know, I'm, it's first wholesale deals are hardest, first rehab's the hardest, first rental property's the hardest. Yeah. Uh, and part of that's because you're afraid. And when I, was, when I bought my first one, I didn't know nobody, man. There wasn't no podcast. There wasn't, you know, like no biggerpockets.com. There's none of that stuff. I didn't even know there was no meetup.com. I didn't know about any RIAs, these, you know, these meetings with other investors. I never heard of any of that stuff. And until like the first, well, after I'd been in the business, like maybe 18 months, I probably had 10 units before I knew there was even such a thing as a real estate investor association meeting. And, uh, and so I just kind of had to figure it out. And I put together a spreadsheet to run my numbers for me. And it was just a return on investment spreadsheet where I'd put in all the numbers and at the bottom it told me how much money out of my pocket it cost to buy the deal and then how what my net income was per per year and then it would divide my net income by how much I put into it to give me my return on my investment and I wanted to get 
a minimum of a 30% return. So if I'm coming out of pocket with 10 grand, I need to make 3000 a year. Right. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about appreciation, which is wishful thinking. And I'm not talking about uh, mortgage pay down, which you're going to get anyway, but in the very beginning, it's minimum, it's minuscule. Your property has to appreciate 10% just to break even. Right. Because if it appreciates 10% and you sell it with a realtor, well, now there goes 6%. And then transfer and recordation, all that stuff. You got to—it's got to go up ten percent just to break even. So, uh, so I never really took appreciation into consideration. If I got it, great, but it's not required in order for my numbers to work. And so I just started looking for stuff thirty percent return or greater. And and I and here's what happened, and this is what happens to most of us: is you realize that man. I had, at the time, I had about $130,000 that I had saved over the course of a few years. And I thought, you know, my first property, I think it was, I was out of pocket, like $11,000 or something. And then but the next property was like six or seven. And then the next one was, you know, seven or eight or something. And I, and I bought a bunch of units the first year, like maybe, I don't know, six buildings. And I started to see like, you know, I'm going to run out of money. And then what am I going to do? And... Uh -huh. And I, uh, I'm going to skip a couple chapters of this story, but you know, I, I figured out I was like the Columbus of the Burr method. Like I thought I discovered it, you know, <laughs> never mind. There's already people there, you know, I, but it was, but based on my own knowledge, like I didn't know, nobody told me it was there. So as far as I'm concerned, I did discover it. Other people discovered it too, but that doesn't take away from my discovery. And I discovered this Burr thing, which is, and here's how it happened. I was renovating houses and I was afraid. I was always a little leery of renovating houses. I've done a handful, but it's not really what I'm good at. But I always had this fear like, man, what if I can't sell the house? Then right. what? It's always then what? Then what? That's how you find your way around obstacles. If you if you ever see an obstacle in your life, then you, then you ask yourself, well, then what? Like, what are the ways around it? And then what happens? And then what happened? And so I was thinking... I'm buying it based on the formula that most of us are familiar with. ARV times 70% minus repair costs gives your maximum allowable offer. So I was using that for my rehabs and I thought to myself, all right, so, well, I guess if I can't sell it, if nobody will buy my house, I guess I could just throw a tenant in there and then refinance it and pay my hard money lender back. And then I'll just keep the house. Right. And then I thought about it. I was like, keep the house. Wait a minute. Instead of buying houses with the intention of flipping them to other people, what if I do the same thing, but just keep the damn things and refinance it? Pull some money and out. then I get the house with nothing out of my pocket or very little. Right. And and then I started doing that. And the first one I did it with was a 15 unit building up in Forest Park. It was eight apartments that were completely vacant and seven commercial spaces. You know the building out because you got a you know Turk that works there. Yeah. I think. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was the first Burr method I did. It was a 15 unit building that, that I still own. And uh, so that that changed everything. I mean, when I bought the 18 unit from you, I did the Burr method. When I bought the 14 unit on Gwynn's Falls, Burr method. 13 unit on York Road, Burr method. 10 unit, Curtis Bay, Burr method. 7 unit on Walrad Street, Burr. Uh, probably 30 houses with the Burr method. Wow. It was all it was very little out of my pocket, very little or, or nothing out of my pocket for all those deals. And that, that, was, that was the key to growth, man. And and then you ask yourself, well, I can't do that. Where am I going to get the money? These are the important things. And we talked about this at the very beginning, like your reputation. You know, if you call 100 hard money lenders and they all know who you are and they think highly of you, man, you're going to have plenty of money. Yeah. If you call a lot of hard money lenders and they think you're a joke because you don't follow through and you're not taking care of your responsibilities, ain't nobody going to give you nothing. I don't care how good the deal is. Yeah. So, so your reputation is important. And here's, this is part of your reputation. That's something people don't think about, man, your credit score. That's part of your reputation. Wow. If your credit score is 540 and you call me and you want me to lend you a hundred grand, like it ain't happening. If you can't honor your obligations that you already have with other people, why should I think you're going to honor obligations with me? Right. If, if you're not paying your child support, you're not paying your medical bills. You're not paying BGE. You're not paying a landlord who kicked you out four years ago. I ain't lending you the money. You already you already proved to me that you're not worth the risk. So, and a lot of people don't think like that. They, you know, they're not thinking about that. But that's, man, that's the way it works. You know, my credit. It was very important to me, even when I got out of, you know, when I got out of jail and had no credit. I mean, I didn't have negative credit. I had nothing. Like I'd never borrowed any money from anybody that showed up anywhere. And uh, 
And once it got above 700, it, you know, like it, it never went below that ever. And if you look at my credit report for the last 25 years, you'll never see a single mispayment, a single late payment, a single derogatory comment, nothing. I mean, Christ, I think the last time I checked, my credit score was like 836. I didn't even know they went that high. Right. And uh, that wasn't but, your little mark. That wasn't your mindset when you were going hard. It just was your mindset after you decided to, to, to go right, right? When, right. I, when I decided to believe in myself exactly. and have confidence in myself. Listen, we a lot of us grow up under different circumstances and with issues that I can't even imagine. You know, yeah. whether it's you know based on your race, your religion, your sexual orientation, like stuff I can't even like relate to at all, other than knowing that we do have things in common like getting rejected for yeah. different reasons you know we just get rejected based on what we look like you know or something we did 25 years ago and uh and but that doesn't mean give up on yourself you yeah. know that Mark, yeah. Mark, this is in wow man i mean we gotta have you back <laughs> yeah we gotta do a part we two. gotta have you back man i know you're busy i know you're 97 retired but please please come back man you've been just giving us so much but you know we we gotta pay the sponsors <laughs> we gotta get ready to um go but is there one thing you wanna you wanna say and I, i'll give if al has one more the question or one but there's one other thing that you just wanna like as one nugget one sort of diamond yeah, if, yeah if if you're new to this business if you're new to the real estate business or any business uh network your ass off get some business cards made up that identify you as a real estate investor wholesaler whatever it is that you do and then you find out what meetups are in your area what whole you know what real estate investor association meetings are in your area you put those on your schedule and you start going to them and and then you and you're going to start to see the same people at different meetings and then you start talking to them and introduce yourself and start to form these relationships and oh, then awesome. when you meet people that are that are you know like doing it that seem receptive ask them hey listen man i'd love to take you out to lunch would you you know would you be available like just pick your favorite place in the city man your favorite place i mean it's obviously it's on me uh and i want to make it so it's worth it to you too like you know do you have any availability in the next couple of weeks and you might pay you might buy somebody 20 lunch and you might get a forty thousand dollar deal out of it or you know i mean it's just you know you don't know and uh that's the most important part of this business is the is your reputation and your network most important part hands down right and, and we preach and, and speak on this mark and then we we'll let you awesome, go mark. how how important is and that's what you're speaking on how important is it to people put people around you that's already done it or have the experience as opposed to going in and trying to do it yourself to put trustworthy people that's already been there as opposed to trying to overcome things that you don't have to reinvent the wheel is that pretty important man it's 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 you can put it this way you can learn everything i know and al knows and melden knows on your own and it might take you 25 years to figure it out <laughs> or you can hang out with people that are doing it and shorten that learning curve you know, yeah. man. Wow. i mean i'm looking for shortcuts if i can if i can get a four-year college degree in a year i'm gonna get it you know yeah. and, if, and if the way i do that is take the professor out to lunch let's go you know it's like you want to learn go out with melvin melvin go out with al and uh and start surrounding yourself you've heard jim Rohn talk about the five people you surround yourself with you're the average of those five people yeah. and you gotta you gotta upsize those five people you know if you're hanging out with five people that are always just talking about how to get over you know how to look for shortcuts where they ain't got to do nothing and all that stuff man you got to get away from those people you want to start talking you don't want to talk to the people that are tearing stuff tearing themselves down you want to start talking to people that are building themselves up and you want to start association associating with those people and identifying with those people and eventually your mind shift starts to change and you begin to feel more like one of those successful people than you do one of the unsuccessful people yeah exactly that's mark, why okay go ahead, go ahead, yeah mark i just want to give you an opportunity um because we do have some folks that are, that are following listening and if there's any information about your, your website or if they need properties you want to kind of put that out there now if, if folks can contact you or connect with your network because he do one sure over. yeah it's my email address is my name it's mark at mark owens.com uh i got a website it's it's in the process of being redone i do some coaching but i'm not taking any more clients for at least the next six months uh i'm only taking like five or six at a time and i've, I've got enough now i don't want any more because i'm going to be traveling a lot between now and the middle of october 
Yeah, because you're just and, traveling around the country right now, right? And you're Winnebago. Well, we're traveling around the country. Yeah, I mean, I'm getting ready. To, I got to head home. Then I'm going to go to Cayman Islands for a week. Then I'm heading out west on June 1st. I'm going to Colorado, Utah, Nevada, California, Idaho, Wyoming, South Dakota for about two, two and a half months. See, then and then I come home. Then we go to Cayman Islands for two weeks. Then I come home. Then we go to England for like two and a half weeks. And then I'm free after that. So I'm not taking any more clients after that. That's my man. That's why. That's why Mark. I mean, that's not why Mark is one of my favorite people. But as you got see his story, you can see why I gravitate to him. And I like to put people like Mark around me. I like you. Maybe I could talk to Fred Lewis and Jeff Schiller. You mm -hmm. know, I know you guys got a lot more money than me. But I always learn. I don't know about that, man. I don't know. Ah, let's so see, listen, Mar. Thank you, man. I look forward to 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 meeting you in person, man. When you, when you're back on the uh, East Coast, uh, or um, I catch Rihanna, and uh, we thank you for your time. I certainly want to have you come on. back. Absolutely, yeah. we definitely want you to come back on. I'm ready, we'll, man. Just let me know when. With you, I will. But listen, Mar. we also do mentoring. Yeah. So go to Sky Miles LLC com for any interest in our mentoring classes with me and my and mr davis the real estate guru i call him and please tune in to hand radio for our real estate podcast we're also on all the social media platforms youtube, youtube google uh spotify. Um, spotify, uh podcast spotify podcast and we're on linkedin instagram facebook all of that stuff please follow us look forward to you and we're gonna have a great guest mark owens thank you man this thank has been you, a mark. great show you're Good welcome no man and uh, we look forward to having you again thank you all for joining us mark enjoy the winnebago enjoy charleston we'll see you soon to the real estate guru appreciate you al appreciate you big brother king richard hand radio family take care we love you guys see you guys next time dj